Hello, and welcome to Season 3 of the Odo Mentor Podcast. We have made it to 2021, and I'm excited to bring you more episodes providing mentorship for your otolaryngology career. I'm your host, Christina Cabrera-Muffley. All of the opinions and views expressed in this podcast are solely my own or my guests. Let's get to it. This is Season 3, Episode 1, Lessons Learned in the First Years of Practice. My guest today is Dr. Andrew Johnson. Andy completed medical school at the Medical College of Wisconsin and subsequently attended the Wayne State University Otolaryngology Residency Program. He joined our faculty at the University of Colorado in 2018. He is married to a family medicine physician, and they have a young daughter. Andy, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Christina. Thanks for having me. Yes. This is the beginning of our third season. Super excited to get that started. And this season, I wanted to do some generalist otolaryngology profiles. And so the reason I asked you to be on is because I wanted to know what lessons you've learned in the first couple of years of practice. Wasn't it still fresh in your mind straight out of residency? So tell me about your career path. Yeah, that's great. First, Christina, I got to say congrats. Season three. That's amazing. (laughs) You made it far. (laughs) You go in big places, which is great. Yeah. So from a career path standpoint, ultimately, I guess, deciding to go into ENT is one of the first things that we have to decide. And I think for me, it was a lot of luck more than anything else. Uh, So I went to the Medical College of Wisconsin, as you mentioned. And during a time between first and second year, we had an, an ability to do various amount of time on a research rotation that could then count towards a thesis or an honors in research. So I was looking around trying to figure out what to do, not really having any clue. And I just happened to stumble into a lab working on some auditory processing stuff and cochlear implant stuff. And that led down this road of exploring and finding out about ENT, which just kind of trickled down from there. So ultimately went down that route. Like you said, ended up going to Wayne State for residency, which had a wonderful opportunity there. And then during that time, I was just trying to really figure out what the heck I wanted to do once I was done. And I know one of the big things that I really enjoyed was the educational aspect to it. And really, there's nowhere else to get that other than in the academic world, more or less. I mean, there are other things that you can do from an educational standpoint. If you're in private practice and you have some APPs that are there helping out, you can certainly teach them. And there are other opportunities, but there's nothing like a residency. So being able to do that was one of the big factors in kind of deciding what to do. And then I think the big question everybody always has, too, is whether or not to do fellowship. And that's always a tough decision too. For me, I just didn't want to give anything up right away. And I felt that if I went into fellowship doing something, I would be pigeonholed into that forever, (laughs) probably incorrectly, but that's the way I felt. And so I was just like, "Ah, let's just be done with this and let's go out and try to find a job. So that's ultimately what led me back to coming to Colorado. So here I am now, now three years, almost three years into it, which is hard to believe. Yeah. Well, and of course, I've lived in the lake effect snow area as well. Uh, I was in Cleveland for a couple of years. So clearly weather upgrade when you move to Colorado, but uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, it is nice occasionally to have some, some gloomy dark days. So, you know, so are there things, I mean, clearly you had an excellent clinical training program uh, and you learned how to operate. You learned how to really figure out which patients need surgery. That's the hardest thing I think, you know, not only what procedure, but which ones actually will benefit from surgery. So are there things, though, besides clinical things that you feel like you 
would have wanted more information on while you were a resident? So I will back up a little bit into this and say that clinically, yes, I think there's always things to learn in residency. And it's one of those weird things where as a resident, you don't really think about it until you're out. You view this very much as a surgical training program, which it is. But then when you step beyond the border, you are in clinic a lot. And <laughs> you see a lot of stuff that you were like, huh, I didn't even know this existed in the world of ENT. So looking back on things, I was always like, yeah, let's try to get in as much surgery as possible. I honestly wish I had more clinic time to see some just stuff that you just don't see that much of. And then you come out. And I remember one of the first things I saw into my first week of practice was a patient with burning mouth syndrome. And I was like, what the heck is this? I've never, <laughs> never even heard of this. Never saw this in residency. Come to realize it's a huge pandemic in Denver. <laughs> well, that's because so, I sent them all to you once you started. With yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. No. So, you know, it's one of those things where looking back, I think wherever, and this is for any residents that are listening to this currently, take advantage of those clinic opportunities because there's so much that you can learn there and how to manage patients. And it's one of those weird things where you see them occasionally you'll see post-ops, but then you'll see maybe a post-op a month out. What does it, what does it look like three months out, six months out? You kind of miss that opportunity some. And then some of the weird stuff that comes in that, again, you don't really think about and you don't read a lot about and it hits you hard when you're out and you're just like, oh, this is this is what I'm going to be seeing now. So that is one thing, you know, I think everybody can just take away from residency in general is trying to maximize on every opportunity. And I think there's a lot of disdain towards clinic in general, but clinic for sure is an area just to pay close attention to. Outside of that, I don't know. We were talking a little bit before this, but I had a really good friend and co-resident who passed away this year. And this past year too with the pandemic has just been tough because you're not seeing people so, you know, during residency, I think it's just so important to highlight and utilize those times when you're with other people. You've got this big group where everybody's working together in this kind of struggle and it creates such intense bonds and you develop such great friendships. But a lot of times you can't maximize on those because you're working and everybody's working, especially when you're in the same cohort. So everyone that's a co-resident with you is kind of doing different things at the same time. So you don't often overlap with them. So just taking time to actually be with people, spend time with them, grow those relationships, because those are going to be so important for things going forward. And then just in the time of it, it just improves your quality of life so much. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything looking back that I'm like, oh man, I really wish I got more training in X, Y, or Z. But by far, spending more time in clinic was something huge that I wish we all could do. It's hard because there's such levels that you have to hit from a surgical standpoint. And then again, just maximizing time with all those people that you develop really great friendships with. Yeah. I think it's like being in the college dorm, you know, when you first get there and then you spend all of this time with these few people, I feel like residency was kind of like that all over again. And it really was a fun experience to just be in the trenches with these people that all have the same career goals. So what surprised you besides burning mouth syndrome, what surprised you in the first two years of your practice? So I think one of the big things, again, looking back on things, not really knowing what an academic otolaryngologist was going to be like in the general world. I viewed it very much like I was going to be going into a private practice group for otolaryngology, which again, for people trying to decide things, it's, I, I think, very different. And it'll be a little bit different depending on the program you're at and kind of who is all around you and what subspecialties are all filled. I would say for sure those first few years, just getting an idea about what the heck I'm actually going to see 
just because so much of it gets filtered in a different way than what I think I initially expected coming into things. So that being one. And then again, those were kind of weird things that you didn't really experience or get much exposure to from a clinic standpoint. And then you're kind of seeing them. And the biggest sensation, and it's still it's so weird to this day, but being in the operating room with no one else around you, no one that's looking over your shoulder, which is both exciting and very terrifying at the same time. Do you feel like that's dissipated some over the last couple of years that you've been out? Yeah, I still think there's a lot of anxiety always with cases. I, don't, I think I'm going to be like that until I die. Uh, it's just one of those things where it's always there. It's gotten better. And, you know, working with residents, it's also just different being on the other side of things mm-hmm. where you're kind of where the buck stops and you're the one that's overseeing things. So it just is a different thing. But yeah, it's definitely dissipated. Those first few cases you're out there, it's just it's a weird sensation. Yeah, I remember my first year out, I teed up my first tonsillectomy and I was super excited. I'm like, yeah, let's do this. And then I ended up being on call the following week after my first tonsillectomy. And I had to do a hemimaxillectomy for a guy with invasive fungal sinusitis. And it was like, oh, welcome to, you know, being an attending like this. It was just such a, I thought I would ease into it, you know? And then all of a sudden I'm like having a conversation with a family about like, whether we should, you know, exonerate the orbit. And I don't know that anything prepares you. And I don't know that everyone has that trial by fire extreme, but it never feels that comfortable until you're really in for quite a few years. It does get easier though. And I think you hit on something that's very important too. If you want to be a generalist and you're deciding whether to do academic practice or private practice, there is no single model of what either of those look like clearly, but especially in academics, there are fewer examples, I think, of generalists in academics. And you have to find this niche, like for you, clearly, it sounds like education. And for me, that was the case too. But for some people, it's running a satellite clinic um, off of the main campus. For some people, it's, you know, running an allergy practice, being the sleep person. But you have to kind of find that niche and and you, it's not really written like, okay, you're going to be a private practice generalist in this group and do everything that comes in through the door, you know, in the community. It's it, you have to find your way. Yep. Yeah. So when I was looking for this, I was actually told by one of my faculty members out at Wayne state told me something along the lines of, you can really try to look at finding a job in two ways. One, if you already know the niche that you want, go and try to find that regardless of the location. Or if you're really focused on the location and where you want to be, that's great. But then from there, you kind of got to establish your niche and figure out what that's going to be. And then coming out here, you know, I work primarily at a satellite clinic away from the campus, but I'm down on the main campus a day or so a week. Uh, And that gives me some opportunity to do some things outside of that and kind of create my own niche there. But you still have to kind of figure out things that are going to be unique to the practice here in a big academic setting where we have three, four subspecialists in every field. So just trying to find an area of need. Yeah. And I've seen that even evolve over my 11 year career. You know, when someone leaves on the faculty, you know, in the meantime, while we're recruiting, all of a sudden I'll do more of X or more of Y, you know, I can always tell when multiple of the otologists are on vacation because all of a sudden all I see is otology, you know, when they have their annual meetings and such. So yeah, it, it, it does, it does vary quite a bit. Yeah. Being in the OR by yourself, do you feel like your complication rate 
was higher in your first year? Or do you feel like you were more stressed about it being higher in the first year? Yeah, I think that's probably more the latter where you're so focused on negative outcomes that I don't know if it's necessarily lower. It's probably where you would expect it to be. Don't have a lot of great things to compare it to, but I don't remember like a huge complication issue coming up during the first year of operating. I remember things taking a lot longer than what I thought they would take in my mind as you're just kind of mentally going through everything and just making sure that everything is going okay. So that is one of the things, definitely looking back on it, where you look at that whole time, and I think you could just see a huge peak during that first year for every case. And at this point, how much do you let the residents do? Having been now in it for a couple of years, do you feel like brand new attendings, whether subspecialty or general, should not let the residents do a whole lot until they get comfortable? Or do you feel like it doesn't really make a difference? Yeah. So that's, you know, that's a great question, Christina. I think sometimes you almost sacrifice a little bit of your own personal growth in certain areas to allow for the growth of some of the residents. And a lot of that depends on their comfort level with things. So I'm very much of the mindset that I took this job knowing that I was going to be teaching residents a lot. And I view that as my mindset in the operating room and that they are here to learn. And I'm going to try to give them the best opportunity to learn while sometimes it may be even better for me to do some of these cases from a time standpoint or even just improving my own skills again and again and again, being able to teach is just something that's so valuable. So I really try to let the residents do as much as they feel comfortable with. And I actually kind of like to try to push them outside their comfort zone a little bit to just get them opportunities to grow. So especially if it's in cases that I feel comfortable with going into it, I'll definitely let them kind of push a little bit more but that's always a really hard balance. And that was another hard thing trying to figure out coming into it is trying to figure out that balance as you're trying to just get out of residency and you want to grow your own practice and continue to kind of grow your skills. But at the same time, you're trying to teach. So it's it's a tough balance for sure. Yeah, especially I, I would think if there's pressure, if you're doing something that not everybody else in your practice is doing, you know, there's probably some pressure to let them do those things earlier on. How have you decided to tailor your practice at this point? It sounds like, so you're at a satellite clinic. Sounds like that's probably, you know, whatever comes in the door is, is yours to, to keep or refer as the case may be. Is there anything though that you thought that you really wanted to do that you're not doing or anything that you really didn't want to do that you're doing a lot of? So coming into this, I knew a little bit about what to expect just because of the large group of subspecialists here. I think everywhere is a little bit different in their patterns of referral. A lot of what I saw, I thought, oh, you know, I'll be able to kind of see and do all. It still gets filtered quite a bit just through the way that things kind of get scheduled clinically for us. But there's still that opportunity to pretty much do everything you want. You're exactly right. Uh, So things that I thought I would do a little bit more of not really knowing kind of coming into this. So I I came out really strong in doing like thyroids because we had a great thyroid experience. Uh, but the referral pattern is just different here. We just don't don't see as many. So I've done a lot less than I thought I would kind of coming out of it and just trying to find my niche in things. So, you know, I'm looking into things in clinic, in clinic procedures that I can do that people aren't currently offering just as an opportunity to fill things where there's kind of a need that no one has taken on yet. And has that been impacted by sharing the office space with a facial plastic reconstructive surgery trained Yeah. So uh, it it does a little bit, a lot of like the nasal stuff. And I shouldn't even say that because I still see quite a bit of it. 
but there's a lot that will get filtered through that way, which is totally fine. Again, coming into this new going into it. And Jeff and I talked a lot about that even before that hasn't really limited my practice much in terms of what I would do. It's actually very beneficial because there's a lot of times where it'd be like, Oh man, this would be a great case for Dr. Farrell or something else like that. And so we've been able to bounce a lot of stuff off, do some combined cases. All that's just been a really great opportunity. How does your lifestyle now compare to when you were in residency as far as, you know, monetarily free time? I mean, I know you're probably driving like the Lexus now. <laughs> still driving my Subaru Forester, Christina, still driving that beautiful Subaru. You have to have a Subaru living in Colorado, right? It's got to yeah, be like much. a Subaru. You have to have a dog. So those two things I have, I'm not like a huge skier. Everybody always hates on me for that, but the mountains and I are not friends for the most part. So we keep a mutual, a mutual kind of distance between the two of us look good from the far distance. No. So, you know, I've really tried to live a very similar lifestyle. It's a little bit tougher now. Um, my wife and I have a young child. And so that's been an interesting thing to kind of deal with. And I think everybody is in the same stage, either during residency or during their early years of practice, where now you're just trying to take care of a human being during this time. And that is the biggest lifestyle change out of anything. But coming out, my whole goal and my wife's whole goal is very similar. We're still very much trying to live like residents for the most part. You know, we came out with a ton of debt. So the faster we can pay that off, the better. That's why the Subaru Forester is still kicking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my car is um, you know, my car is a twelve year old Honda CRV, so I'm there with yeah, you. See? Yeah, uh-huh. see, you're not driving the Lexus either, you know. <laughs> I think I bought that car actually in residency when I was graduating. So yeah, well, plus like when you have the kid, you don't want the Lexus; they're just going to mess up the Lexus. You know, like this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> you know, that's true. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So free time, it doesn't sound like you have that much more free time because you're taking care of your daughter. Yeah, the child, it's just changed, you know. So let's, let me talk about this a little bit. I can count like one hand how many times I've been to the zoo in my life. Since having a child, it is now like a monthly <laughs> event. Got a membership to the zoo. We go to every zoo experience <laughs> that you can. It's like, where are all the places can we go to the zoo? Let's go down to Colorado Springs and hit up the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo. <laughs> That's a great zoo. It's a really fun zoo. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Yeah, you know, you can do that at the Denver Zoo. Uh, do you know how much they charge for this ex- experience now? No. $150. That's, for, yeah. When, I think like a 30-minute experience. Yeah, so why don't you go to the Crazy. Cheyenne Mountain Zoo and pay your five bucks for the lettuce yeah. and then you yeah. can do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so the free, free time has just changed. I think it's really important still to do things. During residency, we had a great group that was really trying to push each other to help with publications. We're all trying to grow in that regard, trying to really get as much opportunity as we can to kind of further our possibilities, I guess, from a career standpoint later on. That's kind of carried over. And so now it's doing the same thing where free time we'll spend coming up with projects and working on those things. I still try to keep up on literature and keep reading journals and stuff like that. So that hasn't changed. There's just not the insane number of work hours that you're having to do. And so... I guess that time is offset by having a child, which is good. (laughs) If you had to give advice to residents, the 80 hour work week makes it a little bit easier, but not really. I mean, that much. They have very limited time in residency. So what should they be learning about? What should they be reading about other than medical knowledge in order to make that transition to their practice more successful and easier? 
I wish I knew the answer to this because then I would <laughs> potentially have changed things. <laughs> uh, like I knew diddly squat about any business stuff. And I think that's one of the big things where, that made me very hesitant to go into kind of like private practice just because you don't, you don't get a lot of those opportunities or experiences to learn that information during residency. And then you're trying to figure out contracts, what all that stuff means going into a, a private group with all these other opportunities and concerns would have just put more stress, I think, on me. So if anybody has any information on that, I'm sure that's a big advantage going out into the private practice. If they want to share that with me, feel free well, to give me a call. Stay tuned because yes. I, we're gonna, stay tuned. We're going to have a show about that in this season. Yeah. So no, no. So that's <laughs> always a good thing. You know, I, I don't know. I, like I mentioned earlier, Residency is so tough because all of your time is spent kind of focused on this one thing, trying to find things outside of that, that will give you joy. I think is so incredibly important spending time with those people that you care about and just having, having fun outside of it, because you can get bogged down with all this stuff that you're having to try to learn and then trying to think about other things to learn on top of that, feeling like you almost want to get an MBA at the same time while you're doing residency. Or there was a time period where I was crazy enough. I was like, oh man, maybe I should get a master's in education right now. This seems like a great opportunity. Let's do that. That's stupid. <laughs> I've done that. Yeah. I'm so busy. Just got to spend that opportunity just doing other things that I enjoy. Because again, looking back on things, it was a time outside of the hospital that was so great spending time with all the other residents and just developing great friendships. And you learn a lot coming out of it too. And there are other people that can help you once you get out. I think when you're in the, the throes of residency, you're not thinking much about financially. Oh man, what am I going to be doing? Now you start to develop relationships with like financial advisors. It's like, these guys have been reading about this stuff forever. I don't have to. I hopefully can trust these people enough that they can tell me what to do. So I don't know. I wouldn't worry too much about it. I would just say, spend that time that you do have where you're not kind of trying to improve from an ENT standpoint, just trying to improve yourself in other ways, develop good friendships and just enjoy life. Yeah. How do you manage your responsibilities with a double physician household? So your wife is a family practice doc who's really sweet. I, I love her, by the way. She's really smart and really nice. How do you manage that? How do you figure out like childcare and work-life balance now? Yeah. Major shout out to Melissa. Thanks, Christina. She's going to appreciate that. She'll hear this and just be like, oh, thank you so much. She'll have me text you later on. We're very fortunate for a number of reasons. But the biggest thing that we realized early on, so when I was in residency, my wife came out and took a private practice job out in Michigan when I was still out there after she completed her residency. And that job killed her. It was tough. She was working a ton of hours and just family practice physicians and uh, primary care providers have so much on their plate, especially going home. I mean, Epic has just taken over their life for the most part where they're just getting inundated with messages all, all the time, having to constantly respond to messages, results, everything else. And so there's so much time outside of the hospital too, that we really made a conscious decision coming back to be like, all right, we're not going to be able to sustain this with both of us working this much. It's just not going to be possible. So she elected to work part-time. And in that also took a lot of medical education opportunities, which are way more flexible the time outside of that is way more flexible. So that has probably been the biggest thing. And we knew girl kind of coming into this that we wanted a child early on. And so that has really allowed us a lot of flexibility to take care of some of the household responsibilities. Um, like if I have time available, I'm able to do those things. And if she does just because of whatever work availability, uh, she doesn't have a medical education thing that she has to do that afternoon, 
there's just more time to take care of the stuff throughout the week. And that's helpful too for the weekends because it felt like during residency, we would work all the time and then <laughs> the weekend would just be all the stuff set aside for the household things. But having her have some availability throughout the, the week allows us to just spend more time together, which is great. And was that, very conscious, that was a conscious 100%. conversation and conscious yeah. decision. Like you talked yeah, about hundred percent. how that would yeah. work. And we knew that we would sacrifice some of the money just for that because it was so important to us. Yeah. Yeah. The Hawaiian vacations will have to wait maybe a little longer. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> the, Lex- <laughs> the Lexus can wait too. <laughs> Lexus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, what else would you like to add about your first couple of years and kind of what you've learned, what advice you'd give to residents as they contemplate those first few scary years out in practice? Yeah, I think one of the really important things with whatever path you decide to go and wherever you end up deciding to go is to find a place, if it's in private practice, a lot, an academic setting, uh, kind of whatever it may be, finding a good group of people that are there. Again, a number of reasons for that. One, you just get great friendships that can develop. But two, there's a lot of mentorship, which can be really tough, especially in the first few years, because you had great mentorship throughout residency. And then it kind of just stops more or less because they're not around. You can still text and call people, but it's just different. You're not interacting with them as much. So having a group that you can bounce things off of, if there's something that you're not familiar with or haven't seen or help with the case, having all those people around can be really helpful. So I think that's something really important to look into when you're going out. Um, just because having a group that can kind of support you, especially during those first few years as you're trying to figure out more about yourself and what life is going to look like. I mean, even just like we were talking about, I have no clue about anything financially, but you know what? There are a lot of people here who have a lot of great experience and things, know people, and that has been really helpful. So it's just one of those things that has been a a real blessing kind of coming into it just because there's such a good support group, not only in medicine, but outside of medicine, that's been really helpful. So looking into that, And then just figuring out, you know, what the heck you want to do, which is really tough. You see so much stuff during residency, and then you're trying to make a decision pretty quick, like by fourth year. And a lot of times it's like, oh my gosh, I haven't even really had an otology rotation at a lot of places until later on. And you're like, should I be applying for a notology fellowship? I don't even know. I haven't even had an otology rotation. So uh, it's really tough trying to, to make a decision while all this stuff is going on, but just trying to find things that make you happy going forward with it. I think it's just super important. So would you do it all over again? If you had to choose otolaryngology, would you choose it again? Oh yeah. No question. And academics, no question. Being in Colorado, no question. Wouldn't change a thing. All right. And if your daughter comes to you in 20 something years and says, Hey dad, I want to be just like you. I want to be an otolaryngologist. What, what advice would you give her? And what would you say to her? That's a great question. That's a, that's a really good question, Christina. So hopefully it's, it would be something that she'd be interested in without me having to tell her to do anything for. And so if she has a great interest in it, great. I would not want her to make that decision until she goes through everything. And I think it's so tough with young kids wanting to do that. And they get so focused on a goal and then they don't experience all the other stuff that they could miss potentially along the way. Like looking back on things for me, you know, I got my major in biology, which was great for preparing me for a medical field, but after college, I didn't get into med school my first go around. So I had a, a year off where I'm trying to figure out, well, what do I want to do at this time? A biology degree 
got me literally nothing really. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? You can work in a lab and that's pretty much it. And mm-hmm. It's like, man, I kind of wish I would have gotten something else that would have been more applicable to like life outside of this, gaining me more skills that I could have. I have my, the whole rest of this time that I can learn about science. Like college may have been a great time for me to explore other things, but I was so focused on this goal of like, I got to get through this and this and this and do this. Then I may miss out on some wonderful opportunities to just learn other cool things that would have been uh, more, <laughs> no offense to any biologists than listening to this podcast, but <laughs> more useful. It's probably a lot coming, of them, actually. I know. <laughs> I don't know if you feel that way. Like coming out of it, it's just like, man, if you don't go into medicine, it's just really tough unless you want a career dedicated to research. And that's a great avenue for that. But when you don't really know, and like if your initial goal gets kind of stopped during that first round and you're trying to think about, man, what the heck am I going to do? It gets really hard having a degree that you've been so focused on towards one goal. And it's like, well, maybe I'm not going to be going down that goal, but what can I do with what I have? And you look at it and you're like, oh man, I don't know if there's, (laughs) I don't know how much I can do with it other than really work in a lab. So getting back, I guess it's a very long-winded answer to just say, keep all of your options open. Don't get focused into that right away. If there's something else that you have an interest or passion in, Definitely explore that. This opportunity will always be there. You always go down that road. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with you. I knew that I wanted to be a doc since I was very young, and I went straight through. I didn't take any time off. And looking back now, you know, I could have explored other things a little bit more, you know, and I get around that now by reading a lot of books and, you know, learning about things that just interest me. And, and I have you know, some time to do that, but it's never quite the same as exploring it hands-on. So yeah, it's the opposite of helicopter parenting. You just want her to explore everything and, and really figure out what she's passionate about. Yeah. That's good. She's one right now. She's passionate about eating her feet. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, time flies. I know. I know it's true. We're exploring those passions. Yeah. Walking. You know. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Andy. Oh yeah. Thanks a lot, Christine. Appreciate it. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Dr. Peter Spitter. Peter graduated from the Wayne State Otolaryngology Residency Program in 2018 and was a prolific author with over 180 published manuscripts and textbook chapters. His light was extinguished way too soon, and he is missed. Thanks for listening. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, give it five stars and leave a review. Okay, let's dance.